Can yeah. you tell us what the five S's are? The first is swaddling. Most mm-hmm. important. Most babies calm with just swaddling. Um, the next is shushing. Shh. Yes. It sounds rude or you think you're being rude, but it's not. They're actually, it's louder than a vacuum cleaner in the uterus. So they are used to that sound and everyone's like, shh, baby's sleeping and they tiptoe. But actually like they hear your intestines, they hear what's happening all the time. So so the shushing is really helpful for them and it's like rhythmic and soothing. Um, the next one is sucking like a pacifier. I'm probably doing these out of order. Don't judge me, people. <laughs> um, but sucking the pacifier, which is Lola's favorite and I now have to struggle with figuring out how to take it away at age two. And then the other one is going to be the um, stomach or side position. This one's not for sleep. This is for calming their crying. Right. So like, you know, you have them on their side or even all the way flipped over like in that football hole. Right. Because they've got to calm down first. Swaddling, sucking, shushing, side stomach. Oh, swinging, yeah. motion. Um, and an easy way to do that when you're holding a baby is that windshield wiper. So use wow. your legs. Yeah. Swinging or like, you know, the mom sway. You yeah, still, I, you're like you at a game or a concert and you're still doing yes. it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah, definitely the sway is the way to go. Yeah, so that's swinging motion, which is, and three of those are in snoo. Lexi, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so we have so much to talk about. You are the chief marketing officer of Happiest Baby, the maker of Snoo, which by the way, I didn't know you when I got the Snoo. I just want everybody to understand that. So when I talk about it, it's coming from a place of like my soul and how it saved my family when we had our baby. But anyways, before we talk about how this new saved our life. I do want to talk about you and a little bit about your background. I did not know that originally your background is in neuroscience. Yeah. Um, wow. Funny. Um, I I thought I was going to grow up and write. So let's take a rewind. Happiest Baby um, is a company that sort of spun off of a famous pediatrician who wrote all these parenting books, Happiest Baby on the Block, Happiest Toddler on the Block, like Guide to Great Sleep. And for over 20 years, like, he has been the baby guy. But he's also my dad, my stepdad. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought I would grow up and write Happiest Teenager on the block. Um, And I studied neuroscience and psychology and literature in undergrad. And I was like, great, the marriage of these two things, I'm going to write a book. And I made a whole, like, outline of all of the topics. And as I started doing this, when I was really young in my early 20s, I was like, there are so many topics. Teenagers are so messed up. Like (laughs) body issues, eating disorders, sexuality, health, mental health. It's a lot. Right. And then I was like, "Mm, that's hard. Um, (laughs) So I no longer wanted to write the rest of his legacy books. Um, But he sparked in me that like curiosity about the human brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was younger, we really started doing more neuroscience in this country rather than just social psychology, therapy, that Mm -hmm. kind of clinical stuff that you might think when you hear psychology. Right. Uh, and so that's how it was born. He has boxes and boxes at home of like books that are and papers and things that are full of like his brain book and his evolution book and all the next book, next right. book. So so I think he um, gave me the bug. And then my mom had the idea to take his books and turn them into DVDs. This was also like over 20, 25 years ago wow. when um, we didn't ingest media the way that we consume it. Right. And so it was really avant-garde of her to be like, No parent has time. No one's reading this book. Let me make it a a video. So they distributed um, via Amazon. It was like how we got our DVDs out there. And then one thing led to another. And um, 
he had this idea to create Snoo based on the five S's, like a topic from his original baby book, which are five steps you can take to calm crying and sort of cure colic, if Mm -hmm. you will. And then he thought, great, like swaddling, swinging, shushing, all these things are amazing if you're awake and standing or sitting. But if you want to lie down as the parent, like we need something that can do it for you. So he worked with MIT Media Labs. And then he told me his crazy story with his prototype. And he was like, you consult for, you know, nonprofits and startups and like take people to market like you can work with us. And I love telling this story. I have to eat my words. I was like, you think someone's going to strap their newborn baby, like three hour old baby to your motor? This is a PR nightmare. Like I'm out. Bye. And then I came crawling back and now we work together as a family. That is so cool. Yeah. So because if you think about it, it is insane. It is. No one has invented a robotic baby bed. No one puts their child into like a moving contraption. I mean, I guess back in the day we had swings and pediatricians used to allow that. But now they say, don't sleep in a swing. It's unsafe and for your head and neck and and other things. So it's a wild, it's a wild ride. But I did feel somewhat like, I have to say born to do it, but somehow educated to do it, kind of on the track to do it. But um, it's like from that old Steve Jobs commencement speech. It only made sense in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I was like left brain, right brain. Like, which one am I? I like math. I'm not very good at creative writing. Like, why am I? you know, studying literature, like what makes anyone think I could write a book? It was a, it was crazy, (laughs) but now it all makes sense. And it led us somewhere. Um, and it led us to snoo eventually as well, which is really fun. But I think it does give me a different appreciation for the data. Um, we do a lot of medical stuff. We're now an FDA, uh, de novo authorized medical device. The de novo meaning we're the first and only of its kind that exists. So we're the first product that will keep babies in the supine position, meaning on their backs, Mm -hmm. which according to like World Health, um, CDC, AAP, all of these organizations is the best, safest way to help um, not to say prevent SIDS, but like reduce your risk. Right. So um, I wow. get, I feel like I get at least the data interpretation and the research from my background, but it was a long time ago and I'm rusty and tired old mom. No, 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 no. I love that. When I saw that, I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> I love learning stuff just about the brain and in general, just how we think. Why do we think like that? Are there chemicals that, you know, help us do this or that? So that is really cool. I feel like you have a lot to offer. Like that is I That's don't know. Awesome. We don't know anything about the brain. We've learned more. I think it was Obama who started kind of the the way that back before then we were really decoding the genome. Now we're like decoding the brain. Ooh. Um, so wild <laughs> times. I haven't had time to like dive into the newer research, although I see things that come up here and there like um, like the way that your brain changes with olfactory inputs. Like, you know how when you smell something and you right. just like feel the memory, can see yes. the person. Yes, like, yes, yes. You know. It's this. It's that really strong thing, and now they're they're showing how sensory input can actually change the pathways of your brain, and now that makes a lot more sense about why people may tell a new mom soothing lavender or drink you know chamomile and smell mm. all of these like calming scents. The scents actually weren't just a vibe; they weren't just like self care. There is something happening in your brain. So, when you read new stuff, please send it to okay. me. Okay. I must have. Our text chain has got to be so, so weird. It's, it's so full of like baby poop. Yeah. Now it's going to be like brain I'm articles. Struggling. Yeah. Help me. Baby needs help. And then it's like, well, yeah, now your brain's doing this and here's lavender and this is what it's going to do. But I love that. That is so cool. So what exactly do you do at Happiest Baby? So anything, marketing and communications, everything that humans experience, witness, hear about us, 
sort of goes through me. We're a small company. Um, Definitely my parents being co-founders, it was very important to them to preserve the integrity of the brand. Mm -hmm. Um, For many decades when Harvey was so famous and everyone wanted that Dr. Carp seal of approval, we were really reluctant. And he was like, I'm just a pediatrician. I'm not selling out. So when these huge like Fortune 100 companies came for endorsement deals, he was like, no, thanks. Thank you. But no, thank you. And I think at one point, maybe like when I was in college, he was offered a TV show and he like said, no, thank you. Wow. So I think what's cool is it gave us a lot of credibility to launch our own thing now. And it gave me as a marketer, like a really easy path forward because you don't often, well, now I guess you do nowadays with influencers and celebrities, but you didn't often have a business that was especially an outlandish and novel idea. And it's really groundbreaking coming from somebody where you already knew who they were. Mm -hmm. So I got to have credibility in that messaging, but it was nice to do it with my parents because they know I have their back and I'm going to be always out for their best interest, the company's best interest, but it's really fun. So basically- Photo shoots, imagery, branding, um, corny sayings. We have one. <laughs> I like one of our taglines that's um, you give the XOs, we give the Zs. Because oh. um, new gives you more sleep and you're like kissing your yeah. baby. So, you know, taglines. Um, but general marketing, which these days is very heavy digital. So right. I've had to evolve in my career as well. So now you're like in tech. and I know. In tech and robotics and, right. <laughs> and FDA approved medical devices yeah. and, and, and furniture. Like... That is so cool. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about the company a little bit because it's a family. So what is the family structure within the company? So everyone understands when you're saying names, who's who and what they mean to you. Yeah. So the founders are Harvey and Nina. They are a married couple. They are my parents. Um, Harvey's not my biological dad technically, but he's been around since I was seven years old and I'm 40. I said that to the camera. <laughs> I love um, it. I just turned 40 in November, a couple days right after Colin's birthday. So yes. like it's it's new to say out loud. Um, <laughs> and they're the founders. He, being a pediatrician of four decades, had this idea and then worked on it with the best engineers in America. And my mom, um, opposite, they have this perfect complementary balance where like she is like businesswoman raises mm-hmm. millions of dollars um, with venture capital and other strategic in- individuals, um, manufacturing, contracts, relationships, hiring and firing offices, like everything operational. So it's like symbiosis. So opposite. Yeah, it's like perfect. He gets to be like the creative genius and she gets to be like the mastermind behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, so that worked out really well with her complementary skill set. And then the company's comprised of at this time maybe like only four executives. So mm-hmm. there are four of us finance guy, a marketing gal, me, um, a amazing like SVP kind of tech product guy. Um, and then we work closely with our legal counsel operations. That is so cool. And knowing how massive the company has become and how successful to still feel like it's homey and like everybody still knows each other. Like everyone knows each other. Everyone's friends. Our interns like text like Dr. Carp. Like it's, yeah. It's a close family. When people have babies, they text pictures of their poop. Oh. We've gone through everything together, myself included. I got a divorce a few years ago, like with the office. Like when I told my team, I was like, sorry, I've been in my these few days. Like I'm figuring it out, but I guess I'll say it out loud. Like half my team cried on Zoom. Like we are very much a family, but the irony is that we are an actual family. Um, just the three of us are related, yeah. but it feels it feels like a family vibe. Is it hard for you because you're the child of you know, the family and the business. So do you feel like sometimes your parents aren't hearing you out because they're treating you like 
Okay. This is a whole podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know the whole like Nepo baby situation? Yeah. There is that where you just get what you get because of that path. And we've all seen that a lot. Sure. And we're great, amazing. That's the American dream. Like do better than the generations before you. But there's also the other side where everyone makes those assumptions and you don't ever get to feel like you earned your way there or you deserve it. Right. Or that people assume that they're like, you know, easy on you and listen to you. When in fact, someone once made a comment who only worked with us for like a few weeks and was like, oh, they only listen to your daughter. And my team and I were dying laughing because we were like, if you actually worked here, you know that they literally don't listen to me because I'm their daughter. Um, so we have to always come with the best data and have other people on the team from finance, from operations, from other departments to support me to make sure that they, because I think as much as they appreciate, you know, my maybe helpful insight, like I'm a kid to them. Like it's right. probably hard for them to say she's 40 right. like it was for me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a whole thing. We work really well together. Mm -hmm. They're very nice people. I think you've talked to Harpy before. He is amazing. The, like the, they don't make them like him, like the no. nicest, best person. He was so kind to Colin and I. I will never forget that. And just so generous, the both of you, so generous with your time and very helpful, very, hey, if you need anything, let us know. And I was just like, that means so much to me. And plus, I don't, nobody ever says that to us. Really? No. It's rare that anybody offers us like, hey, do you need something? Do you need mm -hmm. help? Do you need anything? And so it really meant a lot because, you know, you don't have to take the time to talk to us and just tell us all the great things that you guys are doing. And we loved your product and products because it wasn't just a snoo that we bought. We bought. I said that again. OK, I did not know Lexi at that time. And we love the quality of it. We also bought the white noise sound machine. And that was like my go to site especially, you know, for our child, when you find a product that you like or whatever, a company you like, you, for me, I stick to that company. I don't know what we're called as consumers, but I'm sure. Loyalty, loyal oh, brand loyalist. Yeah, you're I a am, lawyer, loyal customer. I'm very loyal. Like once I like something, it could be anything. If I like a restaurant, I'm back. Yeah. That's who I am. So when we had a chance to actually connect with you guys, I just was like, I'm so glad that I spent our money with a company that has great people there. I don't know. It just That's added so nice. like a bow on top of everything else. So I knew I wanted to have a conversation with you because you guys are doing so much work. And for me, first time parent, I cannot explain how the snoo helped our family out. Oh, we so actually nice. got some extra sleep and we were able just to like, I don't know. I felt like somebody had our back without trying to bring a human person in the house and maybe feeling a little uncomfortable. You know, it's well, my first New York time. City too, like small apartment. Small Everyone's apartment. like, they're a night nurse. I'm wait, like, wait. I, I don't want them in my like sardine can. Like, I remember when somebody brought that up and we were interviewing night nurses at the at that time and we never did it. But, you know, you're just so all over the place as a new mom. I was just like trying to figure out how can I be more efficient? How can I take care of myself, our family? And I remember some of the baby nurses I spoke to, they're like, oh, no, it's OK. We'll just stay on the couch. It's normal. It's like yeah. regular in New York. And I was like, yeah, but I, I felt but bad I felt and weird. Horrible. Yeah, I was like, no, but we don't have any extra rooms. It's New York City. Yeah. And so like we didn't have extra rooms or anything like that. And I just couldn't come to having somebody just stay on the couch. Same. It just I felt too guilty. And I was like, no way, I can't do it. So and you had the added pressure of like having any sense of notoriety. Like no one knows who I am. No one cares. 
I cared. Like, I didn't really feel like being in a diaper and, like, bleeding around strangers. Right. Or having, like, dirty hair. You had to, like, go places sometimes. Right. It um, was hard. And it's also, like, it's calling. And I, I don't know who's around us. And it's, like, there has to be a trust factor in the yeah. sense of, like, I don't know if they're going to take pictures of our baby or the house or no, something like crazy. that. You know, I luckily we've never had anything ever like that happen in our life. But you just never know. And as a first-time mom, you your mind goes to places. Oh my God. You have no idea. Like, how did I get to this point right now? I will never <laughs> forget. I don't know if we were talking on the phone or texting, but I told you the weirdest, like sort of darkest thing. <laughs> but a really common thing that people have postpartum is called um, intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. So people have heard maybe about the baby blues. You remember in the 90s when Brooke Shields was like a big deal and came out because she talked about having postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And so you think of it as like the media portrayed it as like something really profoundly, deeply, you know, dark, depressed. And people assume like, oh, I don't have that. I'm good. But there's anxiety. There's a bunch of other stuff. And so a common symptom um, is called intrusive thoughts. And that is when you have these thoughts that something bad is going to happen. Right. So we have like a modern apartment not too far away when we were kind of chatting about all these similarities. And I was like, here's my crazy mom thought of the day. We have this built-in fridge to the wall, the you know, tall 12 foot, whatever, New York City ceilings. And if I open the fridge, it's a huge panel that opens. Oh my God. And I was, she had just started crawling. And I was like, just you wait, because now that Lola's crawling, I am picturing her crawling into the kitchen to come see me and the fridge door falling off its hinges and slicing her in half. Oh my gosh. Like this is not a normal person thought or so I assumed. But the more you share this with other moms, and that's why it's good that we did that, then you hear them go, oh, I had a thought that she got hit by a car or a taxi or I had a thought that she suffocated the worst. So all of those thoughts and all of that stress is very normal. And you guys have the added pressures, as you mentioned. But I think you can't get around that. And we have to sort of normalize it and talk about it more. So I'm grateful. Um, Sorry if this is weird and boring and makes you think we're crazy. (laughs) But I think it's so important to talk about it. It's so important. And during that time when we actually got to know you guys, I was like, wow, they're really nice. And they're really thoughtful and they're really helpful. And that's just rare. And when you come across people like that as a parent, you're just like, oh, I'm so thankful for it, you know? And you're working mom. And it's not easy in your world, I can imagine. What would you say has been some of the biggest hurdles you faced as a woman in tech, in this space, also with all the responsibilities that you have for Happiest Baby? I think for me, the biggest one, and you've probably heard this, but it's so true, and you don't really know until you've you've experienced it, mm-hmm. but the second you try to balance those things, you are immediately bad at all of them. There is no, like, I'm Ouch. great at everything. Or, like, right. maybe if you were, like, a sort of person who wear many hats and like was able to do so many things, multitasking um, and have multiple different types of strengths. Like look at Colin, like he could be an athlete and then be an advocate and right. and so many other things. Maybe we also are like that. But as soon as you have a baby and then you try to balance that out, you are now a bad mom, a bad right. business person, a bad team member, a bad friend, a bad everything because right. you physically cannot get to all of it. Right. Um, I don't know what to do with it. It's a it's a hard thing. I think you have to give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. I'm very self-critical, so that's very difficult for me. Perfectionist, overachiever. And so I, I do feel like it's been a rat race of two plus years now of nothing's ever good enough. But one nice thing, I didn't think that I had like an ounce of patience in my body. And like it fell from the sky. Yes. I cannot take any credit. Yes. It wasn't me. 
but it a hundred percent. I don't know. I'm patient with her. I'm not patient with myself. I'm not patient in the traffic outside at the <laughs> supermarket, at the DMV, all the places where right. the patience is like what kills you. But like for Lola, take your time, like break it, spill it. No problem. Yeah. yeah well, like, good job. Yeah. You did it. Um, so I think that learning how to maybe see the patience I have as a mom with her and try to project it toward myself would be helpful. But I do think that the biggest challenge is you suddenly feel like you cannot do it all, have it all, balance it all. You're perpetually late. You're perpetually stressed out. Your brain is always thinking. There's been a trend the last few years discussing the mental load of moms. Mm -hmm. I'm like a stockist at a store. I'm an inventory taker in my brain. I'm like, do we have diapers? Do we have wipes? Do right. we have cream? Is there food? What's she going to eat? What are you going to eat? Where's your deodorant? Where's your toothpaste? Right. Like it's, it's crazy. Right. It's nonstop. Before we even started having this conversation, we had to make sure that your phone was connected to the internet because you have to make sure that everything at home is okay. I mean, it is nonstop. You're you're always on call. Always. No um, matter what. It's true. But so I think that's the biggest difference. I think um, we're in a time and space where socially, culturally, we all are trying to be better employers, right? right. Like if you have a team you're working with or a talent you're working with who has kids, it was generous of you to be like, get her the Wi-Fi, make sure we're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but now what's funny is I don't mind at all if my team members are like, I have to go to the OB or my kid is sick or, mm. you know, anything. And I'm like, yeah, great. Of course we're human. But I feel the pressure externally that I can't do that because I'm setting a bad example or I'm not balancing work life enough. I don't know. I'm the same way. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I, I just, I'm, I always feel guilty if I have to do something for definitely for our family, but I'm just always like. For everybody else, I'm totally understanding. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, this messed up or that, da, da, da. But for myself, no, the pressure is heavy. Yeah. I don't know why. And I even read that you- Work culture. It's right. And I even read that you talked about how after you had your baby, you went home, it was Saturday, and then you were on a Zoom. What was it? it was that, on Monday. On Monday, <laughs> back to work. Yeah. Not like- that I would want to advertise this, but since we're laying right. it all out there, um, because we are a baby company and we're supportive and many people on our team take extra long mat leave right. and like, we're good at that. But I think for me, when it's your own, right. it feels like that's your baby and right. you don't want to let go. Right. And also I think at the time, like we're a different team now, but at the time, like my marketing team was so small and I felt like you were going to let them down or like, I didn't, not even that for me, I'm sure they live without me. They're probably like, kick me out the door. Right. It's more like, I couldn't shut off my brain. And in those early days, they sleep a lot. Mm. So for me, like, I thought this was a piece of cake. And right. I was like, this is a joke. What's everyone complaining about? This is easy. And then when she turned, like, two, three months old and kind of woke up more and mm -hmm. became more alert, and I was like, "It's real. just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but the first month, I was, like, on Zoom, breastfeeding on Zoom. I'm like, oh, I'm staying at home in my pajamas anyway. Like, right. it's fine. This is the benefit of a pandemic baby. But I will tell you that even after a traditional maternity leave, like 12 weeks later, the women who before COVID had to like put their pants on and go somewhere and physically Ooh. leave their child right. in daycare or with somebody that they maybe just met or figure it out between the family. That is hard. It is. I would so never hard. have been able to do that. I have so much more respect. I oh, always yeah. knew there was respect, but then I realized, wow. Oh, especially I know like I love moms. Like I'm always like, wow, cool. Love moms. But after becoming one, becoming a parent, I'm like, wow, my heart goes out to all the parents out there and especially moms. It's wild. It's wild. And I also, like it's been over two years, 
and I still look at her and I'm like, you came out of me. Right. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a miracle, weird alien yeah. magic. I'm like, wow. Right. How was your labor experience? Oh my God. Uh, 10 stars. Highly recommend. My biggest fear in life, if I'm really being honest, two biggest fears in life were related to childbirth. I was born in 1983, so when I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, we did not have body positivity the way that we do now and radical For acceptance sure. and all these things. And For I'm so sure. grateful that these, like, Gen Z and younger kids have, but, like, we didn't have that. So my second biggest fear was, like, if I'll just be gaining all this weight and then keep it forever mm -hmm. um, getting pregnant. But my biggest, biggest fear in life since I was, like, a teenager was childbirth, the pain and the general concept of childbirth. Right. So I remember being like terrified. Like everybody was like, think like Zen, meditate. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> and my cousin said to me, look around, look at anyone. anyone. They did it. They're fine. And it's happened for millions of years. Yeah, I know, right? That's all the and other like, one. Yeah, but like yeah. it's different now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't help it. It's like an egocentric human response. Like I'm different. It's different. And so um, by coincidence, because I was geriatric being mm -hmm. elderly, which was like, I think 37 or something <laughs> when I had a baby because of my advanced maternal age. Um, I couldn't really feel her moving and they were all freaking out. And I was like 39 weeks. So not quite at the 40, but like fully baked. So they let me go in early for an induction. So this, everybody get your pens, your iPhone, yeah. whatever. This is the best birth plan. I want the whole world to do this. Why when you get you induced, yeah. ask people will be like, be here at 9 a.m. No, no, no. Go at like 9 p.m. By the time they get everything together, it's like 11 o'clock at night. You're so tired. And then you get the, if you're open to wanting drugs, I was, even though I'm like so organic and earthy, I was like, give me the drugs. <laughs> um, so I got the epidural first. So before a fully balloon, before Pitocin, before anything, I got the epidural. So didn't feel anything. And then by the time they were like doing everything, it was um, two o'clock in the morning huh. and I went to sleep. What? Because I went to sleep because it was just like, I'm medicated. I feel nothing. And now it's like, we would just wait, right? You're waiting to dilate. You're waiting right. for things to move along for her to drop. Oh. So I went to sleep. And then the other great thing, if you're being induced, is to make sure some hospitals have them, but many don't. Mine didn't. Um, is a peanut balloon from Amazon. It looks like a medicine ball, right. but instead of a circle, it's like a, a peanut shaped. Right. And you put that between your legs because biologically, when your your legs are open, your brain is giving the signals to like let things move along. But you can't like move your legs on the epidural. So sleeping with that pillow thing, the ball, the peanut ball between wow. my legs. I woke up four centimeters. Cool. I got induced at 2.15 in the morning, and she was born at 2.30 on the dot in the afternoon. Wow. 12-hour labor, pushed for 17 minutes. Truly, it was like the cinema. Like, at one moment, they thought that she didn't drop, so they were like, oh, you're going to have to have a C-section. We'll give you an hour. Yeah. So I, like, stopped pushing the button for the epidural. Right. And then that was, like, the one hour that I felt labor, and I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> A lot of pain. Highly don't recommend that part. If you can champion that, like, good for you. It's not for me. Right. Um, so then at one point, I was like, I'm so tough. I can take it. And then I was, like, sweating from trying to hold the pain. Right. So I finally called the nurse, and I was like, you need to tell the doctor, like, I have to push this button. Like, I can't take anymore. And she comes in, and she was like, you have to push right now. And I was like, 45 minutes ago, you said I needed a C-section probably because nothing was happening. Like, I can't push right now. And I was terrified. And she said, you're going to have to push. And I said, I can't do it. I can't do that. I can't. Oh I can't. You're going to like, it's going to get stuck because I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I can't do it. And then it's like 
cinematic cheerleaders. My husband is pushing one leg. The nurse is pushing that leg. The doctor's at the bottom. And everyone's like, push, like smiling. And I'm like, okay. And I don't know what's happening. And I just, 17 minutes, she was done. I was like in the hospital famous for three days. We heard about you. You're 17, 17 minutes. minutes. Yeah. You're, you're now 17. It's true. <laughs> oh my Wild gosh. times. But I. it was so nice to not have to feel the pain and panic and know like a lot of people say like time the contractions at home when to go to the hospital yeah. and all this stuff so I mean we did have I guess I shouldn't say it was the best like at one point the hospital bed broke while the epidural needle was about to go in so no, it no, could no, have no, maybe no. been paralyzed wait wait, wait. what <laughs> I was very nice about it I think looking back maybe I should have been like a little more like wait why did it okay. break I didn't know this but I guess for like emergencies and surgery those hospital beds have like a a seam, like, you know, a seam in the middle. Right. And that's because I guess if they need to, they can like t take it out. Right. So the well, last, sense. the last person like didn't click it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm naked. I'm sitting here. No. The, the anesthesiologist has the needle out. He's already sterilized my back. He's about to go in and I just whoosh, fall onto the floor and everyone like dives to catch me, like bang my elbows and knees. And they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's fine. Doctor's daughter. Like, you know, doctor's daughters don't ever go to the hospital. Nothing's ever wrong. We're fine. Like, we'll pop in a leave and, like, go Figure to sleep. It out. We're fine. Right. And so I was, like, overly nice. This could have been horrible. That could but have it was fine. disastrous. Disastrous. Anyway, Ooh. enough about me. But that, but highly recommend induction and then going to sleep and doing it at nighttime. So what are the pros with your dad being a pediatrician? Did you ask him oh everything after? Oh, my God. After I don't. I don't know how regular people Do have a baby. without having a parent or without Literally. a doctor in their family. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. The yeah. amount of photos of poop that I've texted um, <laughs> and just so much like breastfeeding, like so much stuff. I mean, you and I have talked about this and this is what means so much to me actually about working where I work. We have like almost 2 million blog readers a month. Wow. And what's crazy about that for such a small company is I think it really demonstrates how much people don't know. So anything from like Baby constipation, sleep schedules, breastfeeding, the obvious that's really kind of going to impact right. a snoo user, but also unexpected things like baby boners. Like we don't know these things like that kind of thing happens and people are concerned or they don't know. And I think this is my pedestrian distillation here. But if women are no longer like at home and they're in the education system, they're in the workplace, they're not there to get that information from like auntie, grandma, neighbors. Right. And so like. We just don't know stuff. My husband had never touched a baby until I was pregnant. Then I made him touch my friends, hold him first. So right. I, I almost wish I didn't so I could say then our baby was the first one he held. But right. when I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, we babysat. And people don't do that now. They're like side gigas YouTubing at you right. know, age eight. Um, <laughs> so it's a different time. But also I do think that like we aren't getting that anthropological, like mimetic dissemination of information anymore. Like nobody has all the tips and tricks and knows like, that's normal. Don't worry. So they're coming to us. They're Googling something. Yes. And often if you Google something about babies or young children or pregnancy, we tend to be a, a top result. So they're trusting us. And that goes back to having that pediatrician kind of doctor car credibility. But it's wild that that's they're depending on us. I had a girlfriend who whose baby was like 15 months old and didn't have any teeth yet. And she texts me and she's like, well, I think it's okay because I read on Happiest Baby that like that happens and it's okay. And I thought to myself, how amazing that like we were the people to provide her peace of mind. Right. That's rare. Well, again, it's because quality and trust. It's really important to have that. Yeah. I love that 
the company has that information available. Yeah, free blog. Two million visitors yeah. a month? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Wow. There's four million babies born in America every year. So this is a lot in, That's in a lot. contrast to like what there is in the whole year. Whoa. But I think it really demonstrates also people's need. Like it's right. not like we're doing a great job. I mean, I'd like to say I'm a good marketer, but like right. can't take credit for that. I think people are so desperate for information and like I don't know the vibes. Are we canceling or not canceling people? But like there was a moment where maybe I shouldn't quote Aziz Ansari, but he had like an old comedy bit that's like, we're the generation who yelps a taco for 45 minutes. It's like, what are we going to do with our baby? Like information superhighway, too much out there, don't know who to trust. And so I want you to just tell me what to do. Right. Like, I trust you. You're a doctor. Also just my parent and I believe right. in you. But, but if I found someone and that's kind of how Gwyneth Paltrow had achieved such an amazing shift in career because assuming that somebody who is healthful, who does have a family, who cooks, who has to eat a certain way, live a certain way, look a certain way, and you your assumption as a regular person who's not a celebrity is, well, the Hollywood people can afford the best, so I'll follow suit. You know, things have changed, and I think um, many brands are now pay to play, but if you're organic like we were and like she was way back ahead of her time, that's where people went. They were like, okay, I'll trust her, right? There was right. not that much lifestyle, like what's a good salad or what's a good healthy mattress to sleep on. Right. And now there are many people like that who have lifestyle and wellness blogs, but they also don't have the credentials, right? Like people are a mommy blogger because there was a diaper in their Celine purse. But right. They have no, no data. They have no medical right. experience. Like they have nothing <laughs> to vouch for it. So I think that it's really important that we've been sharing that information, but it's extremely helpful. And like I sometimes, like if I don't really feel like outing that I was supposed to remember something since I approved it for the blog right. and read it once, I like Google questions and then click on our own blog is my wow. answer. Well, in your opinion, why do you think it's so important for that information to be out there? We all make mistakes. Babies don't come with instruction manuals. Right. Um, and we don't know. Like, how would you possibly know unless you are surrounded by, you know, people who reminded you that you shouldn't give a kid under one honey? Like, it's right. such a random, specific thing to know. Um, and again, because women are now in the workforce and doing amazing things in the world, they're not sitting at home helping many generations of child rearing in the family or in the community. Right. We need it from somewhere. The key right. is that from us is trusted and trustworthy. Right. Um, but bad things happen and, right. it's, and, it, and you don't know where to turn. And so I think you really need the help. The other thing that means something to me is we sell a product that is incredible, that is game-changing, um, that is so different than anything that existed before. And as much as we worked really hard to launch a rental program and make SNU accessible to more and more families. You know, for 150 bucks a month now, you can rent something that was out of the realm of possibility if you had to yes. pay $1,000 or more in the past. Rental is amazing. But at the end of the day, you know, not every family can afford anything. There are right. families who can't get a crib. Mm -hmm. They can't get a stroller. Um, they can barely get formula, which was even worse by the shortage. But in New York City, um, I lived in a building where the uh, lobby was a Dwayne Reed. It's like a, it's mm -hmm. a drugstore chain for us. And the most stolen items at Dwayne Reed 
among them, so I don't want to misspeak, but among those most stolen items were diapers and formula. Mm. If that doesn't make you cry and think, what is happening in America where everything is broken? Like, mm -hmm. how can people have to steal to put a diaper and feed their baby? It makes me feel good and know that what we're doing is not only amazing that we're saving babies' lives and really trying to change the world for the better in the long term, mm -hmm. but more importantly, that um, we're giving free information mm -hmm. for anyone to access even if they're like at a library on a computer, you don't have to have a smartphone. It doesn't have to be at home at three in the morning. It's great if you have access to a phone, but you can go anywhere and Google something. And likely there are tens of thousands of terms and keywords that that parents are Googling that we are the first or top few wow. results for. So that that, amazing. Like that really means something to yeah. me. What was, I guess, the motivation behind the creation of the SNU? Why? Why? What did they know? They knew about the SIDS rates. I think nobody talks about this. It's really ugly. It's morose. We've been out for over, over seven years. The kind of press we've gotten, there is no PR better than ours. And it's not because I'm congratulating myself. I think that I can only do so much as a marketer. I think it's really about how good the product is and how helpful it is, right? Like, think about it as a woman. Like, if you find the best mascara, you tell everyone. That's you right. gift it to people. Like, you are the evangelist and you are, like, patient zero of that mascara. Right. But now imagine that it was baby sleep, right? That you could get one or two more hours per night, every night when you're exhausted. Oh, yeah. And you don't have a night nurse. And you and I lived alone in New York when our right. family was in L.A. And, you know, it was a lot going on um, during the pandemic and everything else. And so you're able to get people more sleep. You're able to get peace of mind that right. they're, like, safely on the back. I remember I called my mom crying one day and I was like, I keep checking to see if she's alive all the time. How did you do this before? And she said, we didn't. We just stared at you. At one point in like the 80s, people would put a mirror up to the baby and see like like if the, it was the, fogging, yeah. like if they were alive. I don't blame them because you don't know. You just keep staring. Yeah. And so I was like really stressed out. Like, God, if I didn't have this, I wouldn't sleep at all. Right. Because it wasn't about like, I hate that sentence. Like sleep when the baby sleeps. Like It was so hard for me to do that. Also, like I'm not narcoleptic. It's 2 p.m. I have circadian rhythm. I'm not going to sleep. So then I may as well like watch Netflix or right. work or something. But I'm not going to like go to sleep right now because I wanted to have some fun or right. relaxing or whatever. And so I think like if you can do that for somebody, it's going to change everything. I mean, and so I think, you know, kind of back to your question, why they did it was to help. But how or the rewind of why is actually also the best story. The abridged version is um, Harvey was on book tours because the happiest baby on the block was like, you know, number one parenting book. And my mom's video that she made out of it was like, I'll never forget old fashioned press kits were printed and put in a folder and like mailed out to people. Wow. And so like I would print out the Amazon um, listing as like part of our press kit because it was Casino Royale. <laughs> Happiest Baby and Harry Potter. So these wow. were like top DVD sales amongst like wow. Hollywood films. Um, and so they had figured out how to help people, but you can only teach so much, speak so much. Right. And what they found, there was some data that showed just correlation um, that, you know, sometimes pacifiers, babies who use pacifiers, um, there might be some kind of correlation there with, their, with SIDS, like a reduction, like a positive correlation. There was something else about babies who were swaddled mm -hmm. and how that might also be, we don't know, so I can't say the word beneficial, mm -hmm. but um, but there was a correlation that demonstrated that there was perhaps a benefit to swaddling and, and a reduction of the risk of SIDS. So he would tour all the time giving these speeches and talking about how 
apropos now, so kind of funny to say, but his real words were 3,600 babies in America alone die every year. I want to like take a pause. That is is 9-11 numbers. These are big numbers. We, for many, many years, are still reading these people's names on from 9-11. And that's happening to American babies every year, year after year for decades. And there was really nothing anyone could do about it. And so he would talk about educating people about a safe sleep space and about the five S's, which was from his book, which was swaddling, you know, shushing, sucking, and these things that could, could perhaps be beneficial. Um, and then at the time, someone heckled him at a conference. And he had retired from pediatric care as a clinician, as a doctor, and was just doing his books and, and speaking. And so a heckler in the audience goes, you're a famous carp. You fix it. Like, yeah, fix SIDS. Okay. But they went to dinner and he doodled it and on a napkin, which I recently found. I was wow. asking my mom. I was like, find the napkin, find the napkin. And we recently found it. And he doodled it and it looks like almost identical to what Snoo looks like. And he was like, I said to my mom, like, are you in? Are you going to help me do this? And she was like, yeah, naively thinking. They were like, it'll take a year. It took them five and a half years before we launched. This was very robustly studied, very serious engineers, serious testing. And that's when I knew that I was way wrong because then they made a few prototypes. Mm -hmm. And then they would give it to the MIT Media Labs engineers, like PhD students and stuff. And they would disappear when it was time that their time with our prototype was over. They would like stop answering texts and calls or finally when we'd like get in touch with them they'd be like you can't take it back like this saved our marriage like we'll give you our life savings and we were like we want to help you but like we have to give it to another family we we tested it in 400 homes before wow we launched on top of all of the rigorous safety testing government certifications and everything else it was like wild then I was like oh he's on to something but it was from a heckler. It was like a guy said, you fix it. Like It's like saying to somebody, you cure cancer. It's crazy. Right. And then he like doodled it. And and I remember actually, if I'm really telling the dirty truth, there was like an idea. He had like a, he had like cut and put like mattress foam stuff into a laundry basket. Like this is how much it was like his brainchild at home. Wow. So when you went to market with it, how do you describe the snoo, like someone's like, wait, what is this? Like, what is a snoo? That's a good question. It's, um, I just say back, like it's a robotic baby bed that keeps them on their backs with like an organic cotton five second swaddle, like a sleep sack. And the sack clips into the bed and right. prevents dangerous rolling. It's a big ass mouthful, but you have a lot of education around the product, right? And then I also say it's, um, it's kind of like an external womb. It simulates right. the womb. It has like soothing sound and motion. Right. And then the other thing I say all the time is it responds like you would, right? So one of the things people kind of take for granted when we are explaining all of this at once, we say it's automatic, it's responsive, and it goes like over someone's head because what does that mean? But when I say the bed responds to your individual child's needs. Right. Like it'll give yeah. a different sound in motion. Our special algorithm will serve your child what it needs. And then I like would bend in at like a conference. I'd bend into the bed and like yell to fake cry. And then people, they would see that the bed would respond, respond to me. To mm-hmm. And they were like, oh my God. So it's really incredible. And that's, I think, why it's so exciting too to have this new FDA um, de novo authorization because everybody who's tried it loves it. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like the whole internet has used it, I feel. Right. <laughs> there's there's no one alive almost who doesn't know what SNU is. But of course, everyone, you know, every niche and genre will have like a skeptic. And so it feels really good to now have 
the FDA, you know, stand behind us and say, we believe that this can safely keep babies on their backs. And that's the most important way to protect your child from suicide. How do you convince someone who's just, you know, more traditional, we'll say, right? And they're just like, what? A robotic crib? What? I don't yeah. get it. No. I mean, everybody has haters, right? right? So so they say, like, hold your baby. And I'm like, it's not the same. We're not replacing a parent. You'll never replace never. the parent. And look, like, it's going to calm crying. It's going to kind of connect sleep cycles. So, like, right. if they were just a little fussy and, like, wanted a little something, Snoo will soothe them. The other thing I say is, did your mom ever come over? Did she ever hold your baby so you could lie down for five minutes or an hour or take a shower or right. eat? And then they go, oh, okay. I was actually at the annual conference, the American Academy of Pediatrics this year, like a month ago or something. And this woman like beelined for us. And I was like, oh, here comes trouble. And right. she sounded very challenging. And she said like, well, what do you say to the people who say, so I didn't know if it was her or not, but to the people who say that you're like encouraging people are almost negligent and replacing their parenting. And I said, I lived alone in New York. The first time I was actually home alone in the apartment for the day, my parents had flown back to LA. My husband had gone to work and I was like home alone Oh man! with my baby. I had to pee and I was naive. You think like, I don't know, boys can pee with one hand. Maybe I was stupid, but I held her. I went to the bathroom and I thought I could like unbuckle my pants and pull your pants down. No, you cannot pull your pants down with one hand. (laughs) And then I looked around and I like didn't know where to put her because I was she was so delicate. Maybe if I had a second kid, I'd be like, you can go on the bathroom floor. It right. doesn't matter. But as like a clean freak and germaphobe, I was like, that's gross. So I looked around and like I couldn't put her on the sofa because you were afraid they could roll off and you're going to leave. Oh, so then I right. go like look around for a second and I was like, snoo. So I went to my bedroom and I put her in the snoo and I zipped her in and I turned it on. And I knew that even though she was awake and I wasn't using it for sleep, I was using it as a spare set of hands. Right. I was using it because I was alone and it was like my co-parent at that right. moment. And then I went pee and I came back and she was fine. And I was like, oh, no one told me like, what do you do if you have to pee? It, it sounds silly and maybe it but is. It's so but true. I didn't know. And so I think when I said to this woman the story and I said, I live alone in New York and I don't have a night nurse and I don't have family. And the nanny only comes, you know, from eight to six. Right. And I have no other help. And my husband as a professor sometimes has a night class from 6 to 9.30. I also deserve to lie down for five minutes and to not be scared that she's going to roll over. Right. And the woman like looks at me and I thought she was going to ref- refute or rebuttal or something. Mm-hmm. And she goes, and it was the best moment because she was like a pediatrician and buttoned up with like a blazer. And she goes, it's brutal. <laughs> and I was like, there it is. So I think when you appeal to the humanity and you remind them that this is the first time in history, look, we used to culturally have like a hundred nannies. We had the neighbors, your grandma, your aunties, mm-hmm. your sister, your friends. Like we had a community. We had right. the village. Where is the village? The village right. is gone. Right. And so reminding that person, like I just needed five seconds um, and reminding her of perhaps her personal experience, like she opened up. How hard is it for you when it comes to marketing, because the price point is high on a snoo, but also knowing how important it is, how do you balance that? When I was like, I don't know, maybe 35-ish, mm-hmm. um, my sister-in-law passed away. She was younger. She was 33. Mm. And I'm so sorry. Thank you. And she had two little kids. And I was like so distraught because her illness was was 
on a list of things that maybe perhaps could have been helped with um, stem cells or with some other therapies. And I remember thinking like, I want to do everything I can in life for every situation to have like an insurance policy. And I said to my husband, like a couple rules, I can't ever remember the third rule, but at the time I said, no motorcycles, just ever. Mm -hmm. Anything that you can wear a helmet, like even skiing or whatever, like bicycles, wear the helmet. And I can never remember the third thing, sadly. And then in that experience, I also remember how much money it cost to not just get treatment, but to then even pass away in the United States. And the last day before she was just too far gone that we had to say goodbye, the doctors made us sign a paper that said, I certify that I am financially responsible for this. It was a series of six injections, I believe, and it was going to cost $1.2 million. What? So I don't want to like, you know, by no means do I want to like conflate the two, but treatments, new treatments, research and development costs money. Should they not have created that immunotherapy that was going to cost $1.2 million if, if she didn't end up passing away tomorrow? Like, I'm glad it exists. Hopefully insurance should cover that for people. I don't know. Or if you're wealthy enough to, to afford that, like you should have every right. We make innovation in this country, even if it's outlandish, mm-hmm. but should we have not made it because it's expensive to create? Like a SNU, for example, is on drone suspension technology. There's an automotive drivetrain inside of it. It's with an app like wi-fi enabled it has a steel shield all the soft parts are organic so like it's the highest quality material so of course it's expensive to produce and that certainly has been like the biggest talking point and people love like you know the media loves the salacious click titles like sixteen hundred dollar baby bed that like xyz famous person has right um but you can rent them for 150 bucks a month, mm-hmm. which is something we worked really hard on as a tiny company to have the infrastructure and logistics to be able to clean them appropriately to partner with a big multi-billion dollar refurbishment partner Mm -hmm. so that it is the same level of sterilization as a hospital nursery. And then you get all the new parts inside and all of that. So being able to make it more affordable took time. But had we not made the first one, just because it was over $1,000, that wouldn't exist. So so, um, we totally get that that was cost prohibitive. And that's why we worked hard. We launched the rental program right away. Like we took us only two years, which is I don't even know how we did it, to be honest. I'm looking back and I'm like, wow. Um, It was a very small team, but it was really important to us from day one that everyone be able to to rent this. And then if we rented them, we could also then hopefully once you get approval, which is now with this FDA de novo authorization, then you can qualify for insurance to cover it. Like a breast pump. Yes. So, you know, yes. breast pumps back in the day were also like thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. but you never thought about it because insurance pays for it and everyone gets to use it for free. Um, so that was the goal. It is expensive, but, you know, I still think that we should have invented it anyway, which was like, sorry for the tangent, but it reminded me of just the passion of like cancer treatment, things that cost mm-hmm. money eventually at scale um, it gets taken care of or these giant multi-billion dollar, you know, pharma and insurance companies right. pay for it and the government pays for it because it's the right thing to do to save American babies. And I do want to take my moment while I have this platform of mm-hmm. having a, a podcast with you. The CDC published some data that um, all childhood diseases have gone down. So heart disease, cancer, like this is amazing. Modern medicine is a marvel. But SIDS has remained flat. So all this time, all these decades, 
think it was like the late 80s, early 90s, there was a campaign called like Back to Sleep mm-hmm. because before then, like for me, born in 83, we slept face down. I still sleep face down and it wow. takes like eight hours for the wrinkle on my face <laughs> to go away. And then it was like an overnight thing when all the pediatricians in the U.S. were told research shows that it is safer to have them sleep on their backs because back in the day they were afraid we would um, like choke on something, right? Right. On, on our, back. Like if we throw up yeah, or yeah. something like exactly. that. Exactly. Right. So right. they put us face down. Then the doctors, you know, my dad included, had to say, remember that thing I told you last week? Like, just kidding. It's wrong. Do not sleep on your stomach. Sleep on your back. Um, so what we benefited from them doing you know, better on their backs from a suffocation risk perspective, because on your stomach, you have a more risk of suffocation. And that's why AAP and all these orgs tell you to sleep on the back. We lost in other unsafe sleep practices. Believe it or not, even though it seems like really natural and like organic cavemen times to sleep with your baby, in more modern developed nations, we didn't have as much bed sharing as we have now. And I think it's probably because face down, it's cozy, right? Like fetal position, Mm -hmm. like the pressure on your vagus nerve, like it's nice to sleep on your stomach. And so when we put them on their backs and caveated with all the safe sleep practices, flat on your back, no pillow, no blanket, no nothing. You're just kind of like this. Right. It sucks. Like I wouldn't want to sleep like that either. And so they started getting fussier and crying more. And then out of desperation, the parents would take them to bed with them. So um, here's where it gets interesting. Harvey's first book came out in 2001. And that was the early days of the internet. So we like naively put like our office phone number on our website. Um, And people would say, I'm reading Dr. Karp's book. And it says to swaddle because people weren't swaddling in America, which is hilarious because now it's this like multi-billion dollar industry. People would say, where do you even buy a blanket like this? And I would pick up the phone and say, well, you can go to a fabric store and just cut out a square shape minimum 42 inches. Like that's what I would say to people, wow. like answering a telephone because people didn't know where. But when you swaddled them, they got that kind of in utero mm-hmm. cozy feeling. And then the babies stopped being so uncomfortable and doing better and being less colicky or crying less and sleeping more. And so with the five S's from that first book, 22 years ago or whatever it is now, we were seeing a change in cultural behavior. And now, I mean, now people were putting his name and quotes from his book on their shushing products and on their Mm -hmm. swaddle blankets. And now you can't go to a store or you certainly can't have a baby without being gifted, you know, a ton of different swaddle blankets. And so, so I think what's really helpful there is like, we just learned that there are things you can do to soothe the baby, Mm -hmm. but it actually turns out that like 70% of these suid deaths, so it's a sudden unexplained infant deaths, are actually found in an unsafe position. So maybe some are purposely choosing to to bed share as their family's choice. But I would say probably the majority of those are like falling asleep on the sofa in the rocking chair when they're, you know, feeding and and just busy and didn't didn't mean to. And 50% of the sewage deaths are found face down from rolling over, which is why it's so important for us that Snoot capes babies on their backs. Oh my gosh. You know, it's wild. It's so scary. It really is. Because you just think of someone who's so tired and or doesn't have the help or doesn't have just the access to get extra help or whatever it is. And all the situations you just said, that can happen to anybody at any time, at any point. Actually, there was a study in Australia that new parents have more car accidents because they're so exhausted. And another study that showed that if you slept six hours a night or less 
on a consistent basis. I think it comprised of like, I don't know, three or five days in a row, or don't quote me on the number of days, but consistently six hours or less per night, you were the cognitive and motor skill equivalent of drunk. Would you parent drunk? No. Would you drive your kid drunk? No. You, I mean, you shouldn't drive anybody drunk, but like the point is, and one of these, you know, steps that a lot of people in the kind of more natural, holistic parenting space, they say, well, there are ways to safely co-sleep. And one of the keys in every country is no smoking and no drinking. But if the data shows that being that tired is the equivalent of drunk, and by the way, that's not fractured. That's six straight hours. Tell me what parent gets six straight hours and doesn't <laughs> wake joke. up in between, right? So right. like you truly are impaired. Wow. So the when it comes to this new, what are some of the stats or facts that you can share with us that shows that the work is actually beneficial to parents and for babies. Yeah, I mean, we have one study. It's like internal data. Um, I think it was maybe actually a poster presentation, but it was 114,000 babies, and it demonstrated that a baby in a snoo was getting around 90 minutes on average more, but some more, of sleep per night every night from the first day of life, so or the first day of use, so the first week of life, mm -hmm. because you come home on day three or whatever from the hospital. So that is like qualitatively life-changing. One to two hours wow. a night of extra sleep. Wow. Um, so that's pretty amazing. The same data, I think, also demonstrated that you had fewer overnight wake-ups. Uh, so you were kind of in training a circadian rhythm months before was neurologically possible. We used to think like babies in a crib or a traditional bassinet, they were really able to reconcile day and night around four or five months. And in SNU, we're seeing that day-night cycle um, as early as like eight weeks, really. So SNU yeah. is like sleep training for you, um, which for me was nice because I'm not oh, the no. kind of person like we're not going to, I can't cry it out. I think it's mean and unnecessary. And <laughs> so like, you know, transitioning to the crib from SNU for us was like very easy. And I was like, Whew, because I think SNU taught her self-soothing. Right. Um, you know, she would wake up and like instead of just screaming bloody murder to get someone's attention, <laughs> she would be like hearing the shushing and feeling the rocking. I'm doing this and I'm thinking of um, I was at a, a Planned Parenthood for the state of New York event and they were honoring Chrissy Teigen and someone introduced me to her and said, oh, Lexi's from SNU. And she goes, oh. Put her hands down and went and like we'll this go, to me. Like, and I was like, <laughs> or oh, yeah. my stretch. Yes. So they're so like oh the snooze stretch. It's yeah. very cute. Um, but yeah, so those those like those are some numbers. Oh, those are big numbers. Yeah. I remember the last time we spoke, the efforts of getting the snoo in hospitals yes. to help nurses and to also keep babies safe. How has that been? You have such a good memory. So I think SNU is in about 170 plus hospitals now. Yay, um, It's very exciting. And there have been quarterly surveys of these nurses and repeatedly what we've seen is having one, one SNU in a hospital reduces nurse labor by four to five hours per day. What? We are in a massive shortage. COVID was a massive shortage oh, anyway. Absolutely. But you're seeing these, these medical professionals leaving in droves they're sick of everyone. They're miserable. They're underappreciated, yeah. underpaid. It's really leaving the hospitals very vulnerable with very little staff. Right. And it's putting so much pressure on the nurses who did stay. And so having one snoo in the hospital or reducing the nurse labor is like incredible because they're not having to like beep every time they cry. There's the soothing. There's the sack. I will say this is really embarrassing. I shouldn't say this, but um, being like the swaddle guy's daughter I'm not good at doing like the origami Tetris. I am not good at a like, swaddle. I needed the sack. I like, need. Yeah. Boom. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. 
pull it up from bottom, go to the sides. Yeah. Done. And in the hospital, they give you that weird blanket. Why do they have the market share of hospital <laughs> swaddle? It's like thick. It's itchy. It's, it's too small. Yes. It's a horrible one. And so every time Lola would get unswaddled in the hospital, I'd be for the nurse. And I was like, I am the problem. Yeah. But, but you're scared. <laughs> and you know that having that unraveled blanket in there is scary. I know she was only one day old and it was a fluke. It's not like she could roll. She's not special. But she rolled onto her side. And no. I was like, okay, Too now scary. I cannot go to sleep. Like, right. I wish they had a snoo in every suite. So we're working on that as well. But for right now, um, they have a lot of different use cases in the hospital. And it's all that wellness benefit, the less crying, the more sleep to help the nurses. And I was seeing that different companies were giving the snoo to their employees part of their, you know, yeah. maternity, paternity leave, which I thought was so awesome. This was like my favorite thing because, you know, I don't know. I'm like not meaning to like hate on the country, but we don't always take care of our people very well. Come on. <laughs> trying to not be rude. Just, you know. Um, and so, you know, the government moves slowly so the corporations can move fast. They have money. Exactly. And so they're doing it as an HR benefit. They are paying for a full six-month rental for their employee, not just the mom, the dad too. And actually yes. some companies like J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, the grandparents – because we're stop. Yes. Because we're realizing that we live in this place where now older people are not retiring because they can't afford to. Right. And so they might also be a part of the household where there's the crying That's and right. retired or being a caregiver. So JP Morgan Chase Bank, super generous. You can be the janitor, you can be the bank teller. As long as you qualify for your full time employee benefits, you get a free six months new rental. I love that. I love it too. And so it's what's really exciting for me is that when you talked about the price. It's going to be a while, even though we finally got that FDA, sure. it's going to be a while until insurance companies can cover it. And the other thing I want to really talk about is like, these aren't just like bougie jobs that you work at Google and Facebook, right? These are like, you could be a factory worker. You are working the line, making clothing at Under Armour, you get a snoo. So what I love about that corporate rental program is it's much faster to help people who need it, um, as opposed to like waiting for the government and the insurance company. So how does that happen? Is it a corporation contacting you or Yeah, sometimes or people contact us like sometimes a pregnant person at the at the company is like, "Oh, my company doesn't offer this. Can you guys send me info?" and they champion internally. Um wow, it's cool. all online on happiestbaby.com. We have like a submission form and info, but we go and we pitch to a lot of them. Um, you know, a girl on my team was like, I have a sister who knows someone at Amazon right. and, or whatever. So like we we just try ourselves. Everything we've done, we've done so homemade. Like the majority of those 170 hospitals started out with like literally Harvey calling them all, like being on the call. So he's like the pediatrician and the famous guy. I've been on airplanes with him and people like bow down. Yeah. Or like for me, he was a pediatrician in Santa Monica here in LA for many, many decades. And so just from sheer location and from being a fantastic, charming guy, mm -hmm. like you mentioned – we ended up kind of, he had a, a lot of celebrities. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, his first book on the back, the endorsements were like Madonna and like Larry David and like, you know, these are so big great. names. But so what's so funny to me is growing up here, like I didn't care about famous people, but I have to like embarrass <laughs> myself. First of all, I don't know what's wrong with me. I cry like so easily. I cry at commercials. <laughs> I'm a marketer. So I ask my team, like what commercial made you cry? And like the 25 year olds are like, you watch commercials? Like, <laughs> We stream. I'm like, sorry. But I remember these like P&G or Unilever or somebody at Olympics, right? Yeah. And they're like showing how the mom like carries the bag and makes the lunches and gets up at 4 a.m. for the professional athlete, right? And it's like, call your mom. And you like are crying, right? right. And so I remember Colin's big Nike commercial oh, after yes. all of that. And I was like weeping 
Three yeah. times in a row I watched it and all three times I cried. Oh yeah, it's good. It still gets me. Uh, I Well, I've shown it to me. my team now and cried again. But my <laughs> point was I am never, like I never care about yeah. famous people. I just grew up with it. It's normal to us. I don't right. mean this in like a egocentric no, weird sure. way. It's just normal. But I was very excited that when he got on Zoom for, for us to talk about the product, right. it was like I was so excited to meet someone who meant something in the world and who was doing good things. Oh, you and make me cry. I know, I'm crying. I'm going to cry <laughs> now too. But I was so excited. And then watching him, like, you know, geek out and grab the phone and be like, oh, and, oh, and talking about, yeah, oh, and talking yeah. about every feature of Snoo. And I was like, is this real life? Like, this is right. so cool. And same thing for Serena Williams. There was that HBO five or six mm-hmm. episode special. And I was watching it just like a normal person on HBO as a fan. Right. But it was like, because it was after she had had a baby. And I mean, the woman won a Grand Slam. Right. Pregnant. Listen, Unbelievable. She's the greatest to do it. It's of not all even, time. Right. Like, period. forget gender. Sorry, Colin, yes. or anybody else. Anybody else. So she has a snoo next to her bed in every shot of the show. And I'm watching this and I'm like, this what? Amazing. Right. So we've really penetrated the zeitgeist. And it's like so amazing to me that we're a part of everyone's lives, of everyone's homes, of their private moments of their downs of their crying oh yes it's like it's a real thing it feel I think never again in my life will I feel so fulfilled at work and going to sleep at night especially nowadays when children all over the world are dying Mm -hmm. that we are trying our hardest to save babies lives I get to go to work and in this moment where everything feels futile and you're like an Instagram ad this is so dumb but for us we get to be like no because our Instagram ad could reach somebody and help save a life like Mm -hmm. miraculous what are you most proud of when it comes to the work that you've done with the snoo? Tell us just some of the accomplishments. I think having that study, for example, like when in history could you study 114,000 infants in their sleep? Like that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's never been done. And then seeing the impact of that study, like being like, oh, two hours of sleep per day, every day for the first six months of someone's life. Like that is profound. I mean, sleep can affect your immune system, Everything. your mental health, your sanity, um, everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> so that meant something to me. I think, um, people don't know this. We do a lot of give back. Like mm-hmm. we donate a lot everywhere we can. There are homeless shelters who accept women and women and children. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think about this. I'm very fortunate and privileged to not have to, but to think about that it's threatening and dangerous to have small children in a homeless shelter where there could be perhaps like a predatory person there as well. So there are special designated shelters that take women who have small children. So does like donating snooze to shelters to make sure that there's a safe sleep space for those babies. Mm. There's a really nice little nonprofit in New York City called um, Welcome Baby USA. They provide basic necessities to families in New York who are essentially have never had a prenatal visit, have never had any medical care and are um, relying essentially on like ambulatory services like 911 and the Mm. ER to give birth. And they have nothing and they're not prepared. So we donate to them a bunch of stuff every year to make sure people have a clean swaddle, a blanket, something, um, maybe some white noise, um, sometimes snooze. Um, We've packed boxes that have been sent to Ukraine. Um, Physically, the team walked baby to baby, that amazing nonprofit that we work very closely with for over a decade. What stats do you have specifically on reducing the risk of SIDS when it comes so to... So that's something that is really hard to prove. I think that would really cost like 20, 30, 40 million dollars, which wait, we don't wait, have. Wait, wait, Yeah, conducting that much scientific research, you would have to have a, a huge sample size and you'd have to make sure you hit wow. all 50 states, all major races of people, and then make sure that the parents are continuing to participate and aren't dropping out of the study. Right. So it's a very robust undertaking. So um, we can't, say like we reduce you know the risk by x percent or anything like that because like i don't know there is no data but what i do know 
is that babies on their backs is the number one thing. And 50% of those 3,600 dead babies in America every year, God, I got whispered it, I can't even yeah. say it, are found face down. Right. 50% of those. That's so sad. So if you can just put your baby to sleep on their back and keep them on your back, you're like already, you know, halfway there. Right. But we couldn't necessarily keep them on their backs until snoo. So you would just have to stand there and like if your baby could Literally. roll, you'd roll it back over. Right. So that's a big one. And then the other one, actually, that 70% I mentioned earlier of the babies found in an unsafe sleep space. I think you can prevent that. We feel like we can help prevent that even because if you're not so tired, if you're not so frustrated, if your baby hasn't been crying 24-7 all the time for weeks or months, mm -hmm. and if you're getting extra sleep, you're less likely to make decisions that you may not have made when you weren't tired or, more importantly, to fall asleep by accident. And that can happen. Again, unless you're a parent, have been through this, you wouldn't understand how easy that can happen. You're so sleep deprived. You're so tired. And we talked about like what sleep deprivation does to you. I mean, this is the other thing. Like, I think some places use it as a form of torture. I was just going to say, it's torture. So, I mean, understand the magnitude of being sleep deprived and what that can do to you. Absolutely. It's been, it was, in fact, some of the studies that they did on sleep deprivation, I think it was Harvard maybe, were later found unethical. Because it was like so evil to deprive someone of sleep for a study's sake. So it's wild. And the other thing I think is also um, the crying. Actually, this was in mm -hmm. Harvey's first book. I didn't know this, but Navy SEALs, I don't know about now, but at that time, Navy SEALs were trained to withstand torture by having to do whatever they did in their day and be tired and probably be sleep deprived. But having to do it, you know, pull apart the gun, right. clean their thing with the soundtrack of a crying baby. So, like, America's best, like, Navy SEALs can't do it. But, like, don't worry about mom. She's fine. Right. Like, that crying. Like, you, everybody listening, you have been on the plane. And, like, that sound can grate at your nerves. I know. I know. I mean, we're soft and, like, it's our own kid. And we're probably right. like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Are you okay? And, like, hug them. But just repetitively, like, the screaming and the screeching. Oh, my it's, goodness. It's really hard. <laughs> I have more compassion, though, now. Oh if God, I'm yes. on a plane and I hear a baby crying, not my baby, I'm I have, I'm so understanding. Like I volunteer, I go help. I'm like, are you okay? Can I yes, help them? Like, absolutely. Um, it's hard, but I. It goes back to the work question. When it's other people's babies, I have so much compassion. When it's my baby crying on the plane, I want to die of shame. <laughs> I've sweat through all 18 layers. I'm dripping wet from oh, just like shame, so stress, sweat. Yeah. And I think that everybody wants to kill us on the plane. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And half the time I like decide to not go somewhere because I think that flying with the baby is stressful. Yes. Not because it's hard, right. but because I worry that she's going to like disrupt everybody else and they're all mad. Yeah. Which is like ridiculous. I don't mean to sound insecure. I'm not an insecure person, but you feel a responsibility. Right. I don't really care about the people who look at you and they think you're like a bad mom. Like babies cry. This right. is what they do. It's more of like the guilt that guilt, you know, the guilt. And then you know, in the earlier days, they sit on your lap for free. So you're like, cool, I don't have to buy another seat. I'll like blow my miles and fly business. And if they cry in business, then you're like extra guilty <laughs> because all the mean businessmen are like staring at you. And you're like, I'm sorry for your $5,000 seat on this right. flight. Like, and I was using my points. And yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, my I know. God. And like the guilt, the guilt. Um, Can yeah. you tell us what the five S's are? Yes. So um, the first is swaddling. Most mm -hmm. important, most babies calm with just swaddling. Um, the next is shushing. Shh. 
Yes. It sounds rude or you think you're being rude, but it's not. They're actually, it's louder than a vacuum cleaner in the uterus. So they are used to that sound and everyone's like, shh, baby's sleeping and they tiptoe. But actually like they hear your intestines, they hear what's happening all the time. So so the shushing is really helpful for them and it's like rhythmic and soothing. Um, the next one is sucking like a pacifier. I'm probably doing these out of order. Don't judge me, people. <laughs> um, but sucking the pacifier, which is Lola's favorite and I now have to struggle with figuring out how to take it away at age two. And then the other one is going to be the um, stomach or side position. This one's not for sleep. This is for calming their crying. Right. So like, you know, you have them on their side or even all the way flipped over like in that football hold. Right. Because they've got to calm down first. Right. And then side stomach was last. Wait, swaddling, sucking, shushing, side stomach. Oh, swinging. Duh. Motion. Um, And an easy way to do that when you're holding a baby is that windshield wiper. So use your legs. Yeah, swinging or like you know the mom sway. You yeah, still I, you're like at a game or a concert and you're still doing yes. it, right? Like yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, definitely the sway is the way to go. Yeah, so that's swinging motion, which is and three of those are in snoo. How did your dad figure this out? He didn't. That's the funny thing. He says all the time, like I didn't invent this. Like people in Africa were swaddling. I don't know why Americans stopped, but at the time, as I mentioned at the the first book that came out in like 2001. Nobody swaddled. Right. But when he was figuring out, we had this thing called shaken baby syndrome in the U.S. where oh. like, you know, yes. a little bit. And, and unfortunately, it creates brain damage, the trauma from the brain hitting their little oh, skull so inside. And they often get injuries or, or even pass away. And so he was researching, like, why do we have that and other cultures don't, which is crazy. This must have been like, I don't know, the 70s or 80s. I'm not sure of the timeline exactly. And in his research, he saw that the biggest difference was our babies cried more. And so um, there was a tribe in um, the Kalahari Desert called the Kung Tsi, I think. I don't mm-hmm. pronounce it probably well, but they would literally wrap the baby, like swaddle it, and then like wear the baby. And they would go do everything. Cook, walk around, gather food, take care of the toddlers, everything. And the baby was worn 24-7. And that tight swaddling was really helpful. And many cultures all over you know, Asia and so many places were still swaddling. And we just weren't in America. So he kind of like saw all the differences and then really the, there's evolutionary theory behind it, which is why kind of the Merriam-Webster dictionary mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago just recently uh, cited him for popularizing the term the fourth trimester. Mm. And that's because in that first book, they talked about how so many other animals are in gestation a year, two years, right? Like a baby horse is born and it can like run and do all these yes. things and our babies can't do anything. <laughs> And so his theory was that this is actually really cruel. The baby's head is 11 centimeters on average, and we dilate to 10. So, like, if evolution couldn't give us an extra centimeter here, like, it's really an unnecessary cruelty. But so the idea was that when the heads were too big or when the baby was, you know, too too big that the mothers or babies or both would die. And so through evolution, the way that it kind of worked out was that the babies in the families who kind of survived would would be nine months in utero. And so really like our babies could use some extra baking, but like the canal, the cervix, like, I don't know, our stuff can't get it together. And so our babies are really born too soon. And so he calls that fourth trimester, those first three months of life where you simulate the uterus. And so that's where he combined all the things he just saw, which is like the white noise, 
the swaddling, the motion of wearing the baby all the time, the swinging, the sucking, right? That's a, that's a natural reflex. Babies are born with so many reflexes that kind of atrophy or disappear over time. And so he's really saying, hey, there's a calming reflex and I can turn it on if you do these steps. And it happens like almost immediately for almost all babies. It's pretty universal. And for the people out there, you know, with real earnestness, like not condescension, but so many people like to say, my baby hates to be swaddled. But what we saw in like testing mm-hmm. and, and in um, research, I think out of Colorado, was that most people whose baby didn't like to be swaddled weren't doing it right. Oops. Because it's like a little bit scary. You're like, it's like a little delicate baby. And then you have to do it really tight because the tighter you do it, the more it actually soothes them. If you do it not tight enough, but they're like constrained, but they can kind of get out and break out. They're pissed at you. They're like, what are you doing? Right. But if you get it all the way tight enough, then you're starting to stimulate that calming reflex. So kind of his theory is it's evolution and that our babies just need a little more time in the womb. And so there's really the need for that fourth trimester, if you will. Totally makes sense. To me, it does. Absolutely. What would you say is the number one thing that you learned from your father? Oh, my God. So many. There's a bumper sticker idea in his head. Um, he said that in the, also in that first book, what somebody asked him, like, what's the best parenting advice you could give? And he said, be flexible or die. <laughs> and I, I think mean, like I'm not that good at being flexible, but I think um, I think there's so much truth to that. And that's what I'm learning as a new mom. Still feels new, but now we're like two years deep. I know still you're right new. behind me. Yeah, it's still new. Still new. Uh, maybe next kid will like be older, but right. this time it's all, everything is new every day. And I've never, even though she's older, so I've been a mom longer. It's a new milestone and a new thought process, and um, and so I think that's a good one. I don't know if I've mastered it yet, but or ever will really. Um, that's a good one. I think there's one that is more about work, mm-hmm. which is um, mm-hmm. don't eat your liver. I don't know if it's like translating. My mom is from Serbia. So we have like, and he kind of makes jokes then about it, but I take it personally, you know, like the trolls come out when we post about, um, teaching children Mm anti-racism or, um, we posted something once on Instagram that was data. It's not my opinion. It's not the company's opinion. Um, and so, you know, I like read the troll comments or like I get upset and he's like, don't eat your liver. That's his thing to me. And I'm like, okay, not good at it. So wait, what does that mean exactly? It's like, you know, it's like eating you alive from the inside. It's Ooh. like, don't, don't, like, it's not worth it. Like, you're suffering. Like, just yes. let it go. Like, dead it, cut it. But like, I'm not a letter goer. <laughs> it's not, I'm not good at breakups. I'm not good at like loss. <laughs> Everything is sad to me. The world is sad to me. Like, yeah. I can't. So what would you say has been your biggest failure so far that you've learned the most from and you're proud of? In work or at work. home or it could be anything. Anything that you feel like, oh, yeah, that that one gave me a good gut punch, but I made it. I think this applies everywhere. Like on a podcast couch, um, I think some people pride themselves on being like an open book. Yeah, I think I never learned that filter, mm-hmm. and I overshare. And I should probably not like tell stories about like peeing and things in public (laughs) or that's not a bad one. That's just going to help other moms. But, you know, I think um, too earnest, too open. I think it renders you vulnerable in a corporate environment. It happens. We're human. But like one time I cried Mm. in front of other male executives. Uh Oh, my parents weren't there. Sorry if this is like outing something bad. But um, I was really mad at myself. I know we're human and it's right. fine. And if someone, again, back to the guilt, if someone else on my team cried, I wouldn't have even thought twice. But I cried one time. You know, I think I'm just, 
I'm too open and I would have liked to have learned a filter. I think with age, I'll get better. Sure. But I think um, I should make, I would like to make a little bit more of a concerted effort. But if we were like that, you and I wouldn't have become friends. I agree. We never met in person. Like we were just texting, you know. But I don't think that's a bad thing. It's a a double-edged sword. It also has all the beautiful parts of life. I think a lot of our flaws are probably that way, right? right? Like our best parts are also our worst parts. That's right. A hundred percent. Yeah. What's, I guess, um, a moment in your career, you know, that you're really proud of? I mean, you know, it was funny. We we're talking about the economic um, situation and how a lot of companies we're seeing right now are closing doors, are unable to close around a funding. It's sad. It's sad. And, um, and, you know, we're not perfect either. We're certainly seeing things different than we're used to. And so I was thinking about like how to really present to, you know, a board or to executives like all the good things we did. And I put them when I put them on one page of like a, a deck slide, like mm-hmm. one document. And it was like we got FDA to know of authorization. We got Time 100 most influential companies in the world. The cover was Kim Kardashian. We didn't know they were going to put us on the cover. There was 10 companies that they put on the cover next to her. So cool. So it was so funny because it's like open AI, like from yeah. chat GPT. And then like happiest baby. And I was like, this is insane. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so seeing all that, seeing the good press, like just everything we've done in one year, let alone in like the kind of company history. Right. And I was like, hey, we're amazing, <laughs> you know, like. Um, and I think it's good. Maybe that's a good exercise for all of us. Like yes. instead of just all the gratitude exercises, maybe we should do some like pride exercises. Like what are things you've accomplished that you're proud of when you write them down? Listen, sometimes like when you're in the throes of having a baby, it's like washing your hair, right? Mm-hmm. Like I looked nice today. Like I had to go, um, we invested in a film. Everyone should see it. It wasn't, unfortunately it came out in the pandemic and we had started it much before then. It was called A Mouthful of Air starring mm-hmm. Amanda Seyfried. And the whole point is a spoiler alert, but it was she is a woman who had such bad postpartum depression that she ended her own life. Mm. And nobody tells these stories, but these are very real stories. I have met people. I have met men whose wife not only took their life, but took the child with them. Oh, my gosh. I mean, these gut wrenching stories. But anyway, our premiere after all these like years of effort and like, you know, I don't have a lot of money, but I put my own money into the film. Like I was so invested in what we care about. Mm -hmm. Um. And so the premiere was three weeks after I gave birth and I hadn't left my house or like probably taken a shower. <laughs> so like, you know, I would have put that on my list if I was doing like a, a proud moment exercise. So uh, we should do that, right? Absolutely. Because it's so easy to forget everything that you've done and to focus on the negatives. Yeah. That's what we do. I don't know why. It's it's biological. It's survival. It's the, that, the negative stuff. Sorry, here comes the neuro. Yeah. Um, tell me. It's tell more me. salient, right? Like memories, first of all, are made with emotion. So you remember the super positive, but you also remember the super negative. And probably if you're self-critical, there is more super negative. So just volume wise, there are more memories there. But also like it was a threat thing, right? Like in our survival time, I have a, I sound like I'm from LA. This is so woo woo, but I have a (laughs) hypnotherapist. I've seen him a few times throughout 10 years. You know, people I know have gone to him when they were raped or when they were afraid of heights and things, and he can really desensitize them. And I was terrified of childbirth. So, like, I tried. He was here and I was in New York on Zoom. It was almost the same, but not quite. But he wrote a book called Your Survival Instinct is Killing You. And it was essentially that our social conduct, we've out-evolved the slower speed of our old survival instincts. Right. And so like evolution's like kind of (laughs) slow. So it's our survival instinct. It's the negative stuff is like, 
you know, there's a natural reflex where if you see an animal that's showing its teeth, you feel threatened. Right. But like, it could be like a dog that was trained to smile for like the movies, (laughs) right? This is just science. So it's not your fault. Don't be hard on yourself. This is survival instinct. It's science and it is evolution. (laughs) What would you say has been the key to your success when it comes to balancing your career and being a mom? Oh my God, but I didn't. (laughs) I think that was the point of all of this. Um, I think for anyone out there, I think it's really like you have to let yourself do it. My husband is so good at being positive. I am not. He wrote this book called The Serendipity Mindset, Mm -hmm. and it's about like how to create and cultivate your own luck, but it's not like the secret and like manifesting. It's actually scientific. He's a professor at the London School of Economics and at NYU and at USC, and he teaches this in business and in business management. And he keeps getting like awards and publications and it cracks me up because what I love about it is you don't have to be positive. I loved, remember like years ago when they started talking about toxic positivity? And yes. I was like, yes. Yes. Like, it's not like, you'll be fine. It'll be great it's when I got a divorce. No. Right. And so you can make your own luck and do good things without being super positive. I'm like kind of a negative Nancy, but I can still <laughs> make things happen for myself. Right? right. So I think for me, it's been like the dot connecting, the serendipity moments mm-hmm. where like I have an idea. Um, it's been really like, understanding that I might have those ideas and I might not, but like be a good person in the world and, you know, it'll kind of all fall back into you. But I think like at work, it's so hard to just kind of, again, practicing every day, failing every day, but like try to find some grace and some patience for yourself. Pretend like you are an employee. Mm -hmm. Pretend that you're not the boss and you're not riddled with guilt. Right. Pretend you're a member of the team. And if they called you and said, my kid just threw up on everything, which is what I said to Gary on the phone before I got here. on my way out the door, barfed chucks all over everything, you know, um, it happens and you wouldn't be hard on them. So try to treat yourself like you would treat somebody else. Oh, it's so hard. So hard. Oh, it's, I feel like it's just hard, especially when we have our careers, we care so much. I'm so passionate about what I do. It's just hard not to be, you know, critical of myself. Yeah. That's okay. That's why I have you in my life. Yeah. That's going to be fun. I I love the work that you're doing and I love that you care. And that's so much, I don't know, it just, it speaks volumes. You came up with the snoo, the name, right? I did come up with the name. Fun fact, I don't know if this is out there, but but um, it was going to be called Sway. And then I think this might be top secret. Sorry, yeah. TMI. But um, there was, you know, in trademarks, there's different categories, right? right? And so in the category of lingerie, there was a woman who had plus size lingerie line called Sway. But then she had applied for maternity wear, which was like too close to baby. So we're like almost launching at market and we have no name and all of like our product and branding and boxing and like everything was like gonna be Sway. And everyone's like, think of a name. So like I'm in the shower, I'm waking up, I'm writing words. And then um, this is so funny. And my dad was like, we're gonna call it Yawn. And I was like, disgusting. (laughs) See that same face. Clearly, he's horrible idea. Not and he's the marketer. Like, yeah, and he was like, that's exactly why. He's like, look, everyone's reaction, they won't forget it. He's like, it's kind of like. I mean, good point. I guess. But he's like, you know, yawning is a socially contagious behavior. Good um, point. So like then you get tired saying it and like you yawn. I'm trying to not yawn. You yawn when yeah. you say it. And it was a whole thing. And I was like, please, <laughs> please. So we have this very famous industrial product designer, Eve Behar, who helped design Snoo, which is why it's been in so many museums and is so pretty. And like my parents give him the list at their investor meeting and he was like, Snoo, this one. And I was like, yes, my name won. 
Um, so that I don't even know. Cool. I don't know how it came to me. It was just kind of like, I don't even know. It was just an idea. Like kind of like snooze, but like not really. Right. But kind of, but like, yeah, but I love it. Yeah. It's Thank so you. cool. That's awesome. You it's got so it. random. <laughs> but it's so good that it like yours beat out. I know. Long. I felt that was a proud moment. I'm going to write that on my list of proud the pride moment. exercise where I was like, <laughs> this famous guy who's, he designed like the mini Cooper and the soda stream and like all these cool products. Like, he knows. He picked it. That is really, really cool. Thank you, thank you. Lexi, I am so thankful for you. And I appreciate you being kind to us and just being so generous. And that is so rare. And also just doing good work and thank wanting you. to share it with everybody. And I know you guys collectively as a company have been doing everything you can to make this new accessible to people and just you know, attainable. And I, I love the work and the work Thank goes you. on. It's not easy. It's hard. And I appreciate it. I know so many parents who appreciate it. I know Eric who used it as well, who's behind the camera. Yay. And it's the one thing when anybody asks me, what, what do I need to do to get ready for the baby? I'm like, the snoo. It saved us. It Thank gave you. us sleep. I'm not kidding you. And in the beginning, before we got our snoof, little fun story, I looked at the rental program. It is in such demand. That wait list, let me tell you, there was a wait list when oh I God. looked it up. And I was like, what? And what? Like, we try to never have that. I'm going to go to my team and be like, how long were we out of stock? The, <laughs> no, it was but, um, it's on that much. That's the reason why we wild. were like, okay, let's just get it. Because the wait list was so long. But that goes back to the quality Thank of you. the snoo and what it means and what it can do. And hopefully, you know, now that there's been so much progress for it, I really hope more families can get the snoo and, you know, get the sleep and care that they, they deserve when they have Absolutely. a child. It is exhausting. It is so hard being a mom. It's so hard being a parent. So any help <laughs> is appreciated. And I, I trust what you guys are doing. Even our, the, our little white noise sound machine. We got it from you guys. Like we went online. We got it because I just. I literally can't gift the girl anything. She buys everything. I got I'm everything like, oh my before God. you could get it to me because I believed in the brand before I even knew you. Thank you. And people around me also believe the brand. And that's how I found out about it. So I do think, you know, why you guys have one is because of the trusted quality. And I Thank think it's so word of mouth that people just like it and they've seen what it does. And, you know, a lot of times, like, family members I know, they've been generous enough to, like, give it to one another. Like, cousins, they'll share it and whatnot. But it's a it's a, it's a, a thing. It really I know is. you know, but... It's like magic. It's a thing, and I see the work you guys are doing. Thank you. That really means so much, and I love that you get that because... Oh, um, yes. There's so much important, life-changing, game-changing work behind it. It's not just like, let's sell something. It's not about that at all. When I saw how hard you were going to make sure that you can get this new into hospitals to help nurses, to help babies. First and foremost, this is for to help babies. I just... I was like, okay, they're good people. Aww. Like, they're good. They... They just want to do good in this world. Let me tell you, and then I know we have to wrap, but like my mom likes to remind us because like we all just want to give everything away for free and help everybody. And she's like, we're not a nonprofit. Yeah. And so the kind of company slogan internally is always like, we're not a company with a mission. We're a mission with a company. Ooh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Lexi. It's so good to wait, be here. Really we could quick, talk forever. Wait, where, where, what is next? What, like ultimately, oh my what's God, next? what is next? There's so much on the horizon. I think 
the biggest thing is we had this huge product pipeline, like a million smart nursery ideas. Right. But instead, we chose to really focus on SNU and get SNU to as many countries as possible. So now you can buy SNU in Europe, in Australia, in Canada, in America. We're working on the other markets. They're a little more challenging. We're a small company, but I think we're really going to try to get SNU. Basically, the goal is anybody who has an electrical outlet, any right. developed nation. I want to be like Oprah. Everybody gets yeah. a SNU, you right? Get a snoo, you yeah. Get a snoo. <laughs> I'm even wearing a red sweater. It's oh, yeah. meant to be. Um, but no, so I think like that's it. We've got to get this everywhere because we can really, I think, make a difference. And and right. then you'll get the numbers that you were asking for. If we can get that yep. scale and you could see in societies that those horrific accidents maybe decrease, that would be the proof, you know? That, that would be the win. Yeah. That's the hard work. That's yeah. the purpose of life. Thank you so much. Thank Alexi. you so much. Of course. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you got to rush home because who knows what's happening. <laughs> you go home, it could be everything. The bar is just waiting for me. It's fine. <laughs> I left it. I had to go. I was late. 